Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. The Apostle Paul has now appealed to Caesar in his trial before Festus and uh, later before Herod Agrippa II, and now he will be sent across the Mediterranean Sea to appear before the emperor himself in the, the heart of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome. We are looking today at Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to begin by reading the first 12 verses, uh, which begin to talk about the journey to Rome, and then we'll read this uh, first section, I'll make some comments on it, and then we'll read eventually up through verse 26 in our session today. Acts chapter 27 and verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of uh, Adrimatum, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off uh, Salmoni. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with much injury and loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Uh, let's pray as we begin this session. Our Father in heaven, as we read these verses and consider Paul's journey uh, to Rome, we ask that you would, uh, by your Spirit, allow us to have insight into these words and their relevance, their meaning for our lives today. We thank you for the great encouragement that we've had uh, as we viewed the life of the Apostle Paul to think about his powerful testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray that this would continue to encourage us to live our lives for the glory of the Lord Jesus. 
and to share the good news with all uh, with whom we come into contact. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. When the first several verses of this chapter, Paul travels from Caesarea to Crete en route to Rome to appear before Caesar. We find out in verse 1 that there's a Roman centurion named Julius who's given commission of Paul and some other prisoners to deliver them to Rome. Since centurions were typically over a group of 100 soldiers, it's reasonable to assume there were more soldiers accompanying them on the journey. There may have actually been an entire uh, 100 group of soldiers with this centurion at this point uh, to take Paul and the other prisoners on escort to the city of Rome. Luke says in verses 1 and 2 that he accompanied Paul as well as Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The group begins to travel along the Mediterranean coast uh, to the north of Israel, arriving in the city of Sidon in verse 3, and then sailing to the north of Cyprus. The island of Cyprus was, of course, off the western coast of the land of Israel. The, the lee of Cyprus was the sheltered side of the island, which would be the eastern side and then the northern side as well in this case. So they sailed across from uh, north of Cyprus, across the open sea to the southern edge of Anatolia, Cilicia, which was Paul's homeland. Remember, Paul was from Tarsus of Cilicia. And then on to Pamphylia, where they had gone on their first missionary journey. Perga was in Pamphylia and north of their Pisidian Antioch. And finally, they come to Myra in Lycia in verse 5. Luke says that Julius, the centurion, treated Paul kindly and gave him permission to go to his friends and have them care for him when he was in the city of Sidon in verse 3. This was a, a great mercy shown to Paul from uh, both the centurion and ultimately from the Lord during this time. After several years of imprisonment at Caesarea, he's now permitted to have some contact with other believers in Christ in the city of Sidon. It would have been a wonderful joy for him at that time. In verse 6, while they are in Myra, uh, Julius, the centurion, found a ship uh, originally from Alexandria sailing for Italy. And so they joined this ship, boarded the ship, and sailed with difficulty for some days and arrived off Snidus on the southwestern edge of Asia Minor, which was below to the south of Miletus. We've seen Miletus before, where Paul gave his great farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Then they made their way from the southern edge of Asia Minor down to Crete in verse 7, and passed Salmon on the island of Crete, finally arriving at the city of Fair Havens near uh, the city of Lacia on Crete, the southern side of the island of Crete here. So a lot of geography in these first eight verses, uh, basically tracing the path 
that the sailors took as they're en route to Rome. In verse 9, Luke says that much time had passed now on this voyage. It had been rather hard sailing. It was the, the fall uh, of A.D. 59, and it was now even more dangerous because he says the fast, or Day of Atonement, was now over. This would place it in the winter months of A.D. 59, probably late October into November and December is when this trip is going on. And this would be the time of year in the Mediterranean world where the storms would pick up. It would be very dangerous sailing through the Mediterranean region. Paul advised his group then that the trip if conducted in the winter, would be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo, but of their lives. In verse 10, this is not a prophecy that Paul is making. He's simply reasoning and warning them, according to good logical analysis, that they really shouldn't make this trip or attempt to make this trip in the winter months. Um, it could wait until the spring. He was perfectly content as prisoner to uh, stay on the island of Crete until it was smoother sailing. However, the centurion gave more heed to the pilot or the navigator of the ship and to the owner, the captain of the ship, than to Paul, the prisoner, and listened to them. And they were convinced that they could make this trip even in the winter. So the harbor of Fair Havens was not, we're told, uh, suitable to spend the winter in, and the group decided to try to round the southwestern edge of the island of Crete and journey up to the city of Phoenix, which would have been on the western side, a harbor there. Uh, the text says it faced both northwest and southwest, so a, a rather large harbor, and they would try to spend the winter there in verse 12. Now looking at verses 13 through 26 here. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground, on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. 
And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as, it, as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When they started out for Phoenix, they had a gentle south wind blowing, which made them think that it would be a good trip. But then a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. So it came from the island to the north and from behind the ship and drove them away from the island and out into the open ocean. In verse 15, we read that the ship was caught and could not face the wind. The sailors tried to turn the ship back toward land, but the wind threatened to blow the ship over, and the only thing that could be done was to give way to the wind and let it carry them along. The group ran under the lee, or the protected side, of the island of Cauda, or some manuscripts say Clauda here. Luke says that they managed to secure the ship's boat. Uh, it shows that probably everyone on board was involved in trying to keep the ship afloat. So securing the, the ship's boat, or the life raft, if you want to think of it, uh, of the day, allowed themselves after this to be driven along by the wind out into the ocean. The next day, when the wind was violently tossing them, they threw out the cargo. And then on the third day, they threw out the ship's tackle or the rigging and the gear uh, thrown overboard to, in an attempt to keep them afloat. Verse 20 gives the dire state of the ship and its men. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. It was when they're most desperate that Paul takes charge to encourage their spirits. He says, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete. He reminds them that he had predicted this outcome. He's not trying to gloat here, but to point out that his words should be seen as reliable. Then he encouraged them to take heart and prophesied that there would be no loss of life among them, but only of the ship. How could he have known that? Well, he says an angel had appeared to him and had told him not to be afraid that he must stand before Caesar and God had granted to him all those who were sailing with him. So the Lord comforted Paul and his friends and the men on board, even in the midst of the suffering of the storm. And we'll find out next time what the outcome is uh, for this storm that Paul and his, his companions found themselves in, in Acts chapter 27. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu.